episode 55 of the passive hang it's Fayon here and today we are joined by damien cooper or dr damien cooper because he is an osteopath founder of the movement improvement clinic which is in newcastle australia and operates inside of the famous the movement collective gym he is also an amazing musician so there's a bit of a surprise at the very end of the podcast i'm excited to share this one with you guys let's get stuck in i'll see you in there love the AI voice of that. You know, they, tr- they try and make it as artificial as possible. It's the best. <laughs> Recording in progress. <laughs> this is um, episode 55. I've got Damo Cooper on the podcast, or Damien. I don't know which one you prefer, but welcome to The Passive Hang. <laughs> so good to be here, man. Damo's fine. Damien is also fine, but most people will call me Damo or Coop. Coop. I like it. A uh, little intro, I guess. Say, so, yeah, you live up in Newcastle. I know you're part of the team over at the Movement Collective, but also run your own clinic out from there as well, the Movement Improvement Clinic, which is really, really cool. And probably want to kick it off by my first memories of you when a couple of years ago, I went up to Newcastle for a workshop and we met in person for the first time. And I remember... Not only that you played the guitar very well, but at that time you were doing like a daily wushu head-to-toe protocol as well. And whilst we were sort of mucking around, I remember you just in the corner with your foot up against the kettlebell and you were just like bouncing for like, it seemed like a really, really long time. And I was like, all right, like, what's this guy all about? And then I found out you were an osteo as well. And I was like... Interesting. I want to find out a bit more. And so maybe I get to find, finally, unpack the Damo Cooper in this podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, that's so good. That was a good, that was a good memory. Yeah, I still remember connecting with you that that time, sometime in June, I think, June of 2019. Um, Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a big, I guess the last three years have been pretty big just with the business, but a really impactful time for the movement collective for myself. Um, yeah. Just deepening my practice in movement and uh, yeah, it's, it's just all uh, been a big blur since 2018 for me really. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Because you're not originally from Newcastle, right? So you you had just moved there? Like, what's the background behind that? Yeah, so I grew up in Lismore. And I did all my study there. Uh, found osteopathy. Um, I started exercise science. And I, a year into that, realized I wanted to do osteo. There's three unis in Australia that teach it. Um, two are in Melbourne. One's in Lismore, of all places. So I, I thought, I just really loved the philosophy. So I jumped in on that. Um, and that was a five-year course. Um, so I finished that uh, basically the start of 2018 and then moved down to Newcastle to be a part nice. of TNC and start a business there. 
That is strange that there's an osteo, like university teaching it in Lismore. And then for people that don't know, you know, that's on the coast somewhere in New South Wales. It's not like regional, but it's like a town, right? Yeah, there's, there's about 40, I think there's about oh, 45,000 people in Lismore, um, 60,000 surrounding. There's nothing too significant about the place at all. Uh, I guess it's just, uh, yeah, a big, a big town um, based on a river. You know, it's about 40 minutes from, from Byron Bay, an hour from the Gold Coast. It's kind of just a really regular place. So I guess you get that with, um, with unique courses. You, you'll find them in, in unique places a lot of times. Mm. Uh, yeah. And so you had an interest in exercise, the health and body, and that's why you first started in exercise science and then migrated to osteo. What happened there? Yeah. Yeah. I just love health, man. I love helping people. It's my passion. Like I just want to be of service to people in some way that benefits them holistically, basically. Um, I was 16 and I had this, um, kind of moment of clarity, I guess I call it an epiphany. And I sort of um, started to understand the world in a different way. And I started to see how responsible we are for our, for our own well-being and how we're the cause of our own uh, problems in life or problems as we perceive them. And um, I sort of got gain a real interest in psychology and, and I guess spirituality as well. Um, but there wasn't sort of a professional path in that way that I guess I wanted to really take. Like I didn't see myself, I guess, sitting in a room talking to people like as much as I love that. I was, I'm so passionate about movement and health from, you know, a physical perspective. Um, I, I originally applied for psychology and then got into exercise science. So I, I didn't make the, the cut for the psychology course, but I think it was a blessing in disguise. Mm. It was the universe's way of telling me, no, no, no. Either not yet or that's just not your path right now. Um, either that or I just didn't work hard enough to get the grades. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who knows? Uh, so I just wanted to learn more about health. And I found that osteo and the principles that are, that I guess promote this idea of the body being connected, structure governing function, function governing structure, and how it's a reciprocal relationship and how all systems of the body have an impact on the health of the entire being. And, you know, we must include mind, body, and spirit. It's all connected. It's all part of what makes us human. Uh, yeah. And so everything about that part of osteopathy, I just resonate with. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about this uh, epiphany? You know, 16. It's an oh, interesting I, time of age, I think, for anybody. Say, oh. so, I'm interested to find out a yeah. bit more. Yeah. It's... um. It's something I often get caught up speaking about, I guess, like caught up in my words and, and often can't articulate it properly. So don't say I didn't warn you. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a day where 
I I realized that um, the only thing essentially stopping joy or presence was my identification with this idea of what I think myself is. So I essentially stepped out of my ego and into the observer for the entire day. Um, I guess when it, the way it started is uh, my mom was going on a, on a journey to um, uh, USA and I had the house to myself for a month. So this sense of freedom as a 16 year old, like, Oh, cool. Let's have some parties. Let's do all these things. Like going to have friends over. It's going to be great. And I remember um, the, the last thing I said to her was just be yourself. So she's, she's on a, she was sort of on a journey to find love and she was meeting um, someone over there who she'd connected with online uh, back in 2009. And um, this, this be yourself, idea I sort of sat with that and it sort of I just remember it sort of swirling around in my being be yourself be yourself what what is that what does that actually mean and and I got up I was like I'm gonna clean the house and so I got went up to the dishes it was my least favorite thing to do is clean the dishes at this point in my life and I'm cleaning and I'm kind of having a good time It it was really strange um and I realized that to be yourself means that something has to be the self. And it kind of shocked me because it didn't, it was one of those moments where you, you don't expect an, like an awakening like that to, to occur. It's just one of those things that's just, oh, here I am. And I sort of looked up, I remember looking up to my right side and just thinking, is that God speaking to me? <laughs> and it's so funny. And I just sort of laughed at myself and I kept going and I'm just thinking, I'm having the best time just being with myself and cleaning the dishes. And I laughed again, like audibly to myself in complete like joy realizing that I was having a moment of bliss doing the very thing that I've despised my whole life. And so that led me down a train of thought of, Oh, I'm the obstacle. This thing I call self, which isn't actually me is the obstacle. And so de-identification with that and presence, like true presence, is actually the answer. And so therefore money can't buy happiness. It's actually just a state of being that you carry. And there was like a lot more unfolding of just sort of like the wisdom of the universe as as you might call it, or the truth for me, which I would call my truths now. Um, and some of the stuff around, I guess, reincarnation and how energy can't be destroyed. It's only transferred and where this soul on this journey to, to enlightenment through lifetimes. And we can know people through lifetimes um, because we're on this sort of journey together. 
and all of these things kind of unfolded on this day. I guess the other big thing was like fear is the root of all evil, right? And the only reason we have fear is because we have attached. If we attach to something, we're therefore trying to avoid something else because we're scared of it. And the cascade of fears leads us down the path where we have wars and, you know, all of these difficulties in life. I'm just this 16-year-old kid who's like had this insane insight. Uh, and then, you know, the next morning I wake up and I'm, I'm changed fundamentally. Like my core beliefs have radically flipped. And I've never felt so peaceful and certain in my life of who I am or am not and what it means to be at peace. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, from that point, I sort of spoke to some friends about the experience and they sort of led me down, uh, I guess, the path of Buddhism and I gained some insight into like the Buddha's work and, you know, him talking about fear and attachment. And, and I guess I gained language from those, um, those forms of spirituality. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's altered the way I speak about it to some level, um, just with that knowledge that I've gained. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of it, man. That's that's sort of a that's sort of a summary of it. Yeah, sounds like a really beautiful moment, and I'm interested to like, did it sort of come on very unexpectedly? Like that was your first sort of. Um, interaction or way of, of, of where it started to shift or did you have like prior interest or curiosity in this sort of realm beforehand or it, this just sort of flipped you in a very unexpected way? I, I grew up in a church. Um, yeah. And I went until I was about 14. So about two years before that. And so I think I developed kind of a, I guess, some kind of moral compass there. Um, myself did, like my ego self. Uh, and I always felt like there was something greater than myself. Uh, but I never quite understood what it meant or what it felt like when people would say, in the church, like, oh, God's speaking to me. I was like, oh, I wonder what that's like. And so it was just like, okay, that that's what it means. Like, I know now what, what the experience feels like. And it's actually just, for me, it was just the sound of my own voice. But it's more of like this overwhelming feeling that creates a voice. It's like something... Like the voice is a wave of the energy that's underneath it in the ocean. Mm. If that, um, 
Yeah, and so I guess that's why people talk about like their gut feeling and what their heart says. It's it's that kind of similar feeling, but it, it just was so crystal clear to me that day. Just like a singular thought, stream of thoughts, rather than this, we often live in this world of, you know, there's so many thoughts going on in our head. I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. I feel this way and I, I need to do that thing and, you know, we're judging and we're, we're analyzing all the time. And that all just fell away. And it was just left with myself and this sense of safety and connectedness to something greater. Yes. So how do you use that experience, I guess, these days? Because, you know, 16, that's, mm. I guess, quite a long time ago now. Does it come up regularly right now for for you as some way to guide you in your decision making it definitely does i'd say it was the most impactful day of my life mm. um these days i try not to attach myself to that experience in the past i really tried to grasp at recreating that experience and it's yeah i think you can see how counterproductive that is because it's the act of grasping that is what takes you away from that experience so it's so paradoxical um the way i guess it shows up is i i just really try to trust what what my heart and gut are saying. Yeah. And I try to live as much as I can leading with kindness and service um, and being just. Um, there's a great line in, in the doubt. It just says, uh, when the great way disappears, we meet kindness and justice. And what I see from that is that when you lose perfect connection with that with the way or with the universe or with the greater or with God you show up in the world with kindness and justice uh, and and then there's more to that passage but I really feel that that's that's the next step of showing up in the world so and it's just trusting that every day okay cool this is how I'm gonna this is how I'm going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess trusting yourself in this feeling, is this one of the reasons which um, I guess straight out from university, you decided to establish your own clinic, you know, move cities as well to Newcastle. I know when I finished uni as well, it's always like very interesting points in your life when you're in these transitional points. Cause yeah, sometimes you feel like you're ready and other times you're like, well, I'm, I'm finished with this now. I'm supposed to maybe feel like I'm ready to do something, but I got no idea what to do. So how did, yeah, how, how did this all come about with you coming to Newcastle and establishing your, your practice there? Well, man, I think one of the biggest points is that uh, what I learned in that epiphany and then moving into osteo was that like, I'm looking to look at the root cause of issues 
<clears throat> and as I went through the degree doing osteo, I, I started to see and feel that for me on my path, there's this sense that where we take responsibility for, for the state of being we have. And we can fundamentally change that as individuals. Um, and of course, teachers are helpful, but at the end of the day, we're the ones who live in this body and we, we have to have a good relationship with them. And so by understanding that, I, I realized, okay, I have to do that too, because I have to be able to, I guess, walk the talk, you know, practice what I preach. And the way that I felt was the, the truest form of connection to the body was movement. And uh, movement in a boundless way. Um, you know, uh, I guess the, the teacher of us all, Ego, he speaks about how we should take up all these different practices and, and look to essentially free our bodies from, from the limitations that we have. Um, and and open ourselves up to the amazing capacity and uh, oh, diversity of, of movements that we can have. And that, and that also uh, only specializing, like injuries come from specializing. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll develop a really general movement practice. And I see his work as the, the most sort of clear, clear example of that. And also, you know, more so than just his work, but also what, what actually he's talking about, which is, which is movement as opposed to stillness, right? And so everything is a movement practice. <clears throat> um, and, and having a generalized approach to that is important. So I, I sort of went on a search. I found that before I, or when I started my osteopathy in like 2012, mm. 2013, I saw his work. And then that sort of just stuck with me as I went through the degree. Um, and just in my fifth year, in my last year, I, I sort of was really seeking what, what, I, what am I going to do? Like, who am I going to go and, and work for? I, I didn't really feel like I was going to start my own business at that point. Like I had this dream. I was like, oh, cool. I kind of know that I, I want to do movement. I'm, I was one of the most exercise-based osteos at the student clinic. And um, always just trying to empower people. Uh, and I just felt like there was this, uh, this drive for me to actually develop my practice. And so when I saw Rod and I saw the Movement Collective, um, and I went down in 2017, which was the last sort of year of my degree. Um, I, I became really inspired and, and sort of felt really um, connected to, to that community and how that community, community could shape me. Yeah. And help me discover that truly. So during that time when you were studying osteopathy, was that when you were sort of experimenting yourself with like developing a movement practice and getting into it or did it sort of take off from, you know, when you, the time you met Rod and 
and started becoming involved with the movement collective, I guess. Yeah. How has your physical practice sort of evolved from, from the years gone by? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, when I was like 17, I started doing weights and I did that. I just did like the basic kind of bodybuilding thing. Wanted to put some muscle on. I also played soccer or football, like the truest kind of football where you use your feet. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah i did i did that until i was about uh gosh 22 and so that was in my third year of osteo i felt like that was kind of limiting me to some level <clears throat> even though i love i still love it and so going into my fourth year 2016 this is still before i met rod um i sort of left um left football and just started trying to experiment and just try different, different things. I thought about trying some Olympic weightlifting. I could try a little bit of that. Um, some circumstances changed there. So I didn't really go fully down that rabbit hole, but I, I started just to explore locomotion and, and gymnastics rings and uh, started just looking at um, more of the videos and, and, uh, online, you know, all of that info that most people who found this stuff have gone down that rabbit hole. Classic blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so yeah, I was already kind of trying to do some, some kind of movement based stuff before um, I, I moved into uh, a really immersed practice yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And you, what you mentioned before is something I want to question you on, which is, um, you know, that old Edo phrase about, um, specialization. And when you go deep into specialization, you know, there's a price price to pay. Mm. I guess now that you've had like quite a few years of clinical experience, you see like a lot of bodies as well. Does this, ring ring true is the um generalist way if you're talking about it from a health sort of standpoint or longevity sort of standpoint is that the way to go or do do specialists do they really pay pay the price mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that um <laughs> every everything has a, a price right so If you, if you choose to do only one discipline, it's just going to, it's, it will promote a certain kind of base level posture or um, base level kind of tension within your body that supports that practice. You know, you think about a jujitsu practitioner, um, they're like closed in and they want to, they want to be working in front of them and, and they want to always be mm. holding their opponent. Um, same with a rock climber. Oftentimes they're, they're glued to a wall, you know, and that's, that's in, like, that's the whole practice is like being on that wall, sticking to it and being able to navigate it wherever it goes. Um, <clears throat> there's movement patterns that are, you're fundamentally just missing out on as soon as you do that, uh, as soon as you start to stick to one thing. So, so I think that, 
yeah, with my experience, I would say that yes, there, there is definitely like a, whatever you do is going to impact your body in some way mm. and it's going to change and mold you. And so if you're not having like a diverse range of stimulus, you'll become good at certain things and that can predispose you to certain injuries for sure. Yeah. There's definitely more to that because even with a generalist kind of practice, it doesn't guarantee you will not have injuries either. Um, under that, we've got this, this world of, I guess, uh, pain experience. Uh, and there's, you know, there's the mind body kind of spirit connection there that we need to kind of look at. Um, and the health of the person. And the reason I'm going down that road and talking about that is because with, with the right kind of approach to training or with a balanced approach to training, you're really just able to navigate. And it's about being able to navigate whatever you do rather than doing the right thing, if that makes sense. Mm. So if you just, for example, if you just go into hand balancing and you've never done it before and you just go, cool, it's all I'm going to do from now on. Well, you, your wrists are probably going to feel it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And, and like you, you might get a sore back like, and your shoulders might have issues. And it's because you went in so hard and you expected yourself to be able to adapt to that instantly. So the patient approach, like the balanced approach to two different practices, I would argue is more important than having a balanced movement practice. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that one, because sometimes I think, is it also just uh, <clears throat> propensity to really dive into things that we really like? And when we do it, we want to do it like every day, you know, if, like the rock climber example, I'm sure. And I've seen, you know, people who are into that, it's just then you want to do it all the time, every day, because you love it, right? Yeah. And then <laughs> is, it, is it because of that frequency rather than the fact that, yeah, maybe you could just be like solely on rock, rock climbing, but then if you only did it once or twice a week, maybe, maybe you'd be fine. You know, there's, there's always that sort of question as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, again, with this, uh, I don't know what layer you want to call it, the mind layer or something that you put over your, your actions that then predispose you towards harming yourself as well. Be, just because you're, it's kind of like it turns on you because the activity that you love doing so much in that current moment, you, you just want to keep on doing it. Yeah, right. It's like your greatest strength becomes your greatest weakness, right? Mm. And that's just having an insight and awareness to that is so important to having longevity. Um, yeah, no, man. Oh, like I play guitar and when I, when I, like, I've done a lot of it. I, I do it. I do it professionally, like playing weddings and that kind of thing. And so to get to that level, you know, you have to put a certain amount of time in, and I just would do it for hours daily, right? And I would just sit and I would lean a little bit to the left and just twist my body a little bit. And my <laughs> right shoulder would come over the guitar, 
and my left hand would just sit there and it would just be there for, I don't know, man, sometimes four or five hours at a time. And man, I pay the price. Like I'm trying to do other things now. It's like, oh, I've got to, got to do a lot of work on my right shoulder. Like my wrists are so tight because they're always flexed over. Mm. So it's taken so long for me to, to open my wrists up. Um, and uh, yeah, just the lack of connection through my lower back and pelvis and hips because I've just sit and just stay and I wouldn't, I wouldn't move. Um, yeah, that's, that's like you cre- yeah, creating, creating problems whilst you're getting better at a skill. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the kicker, right? Because all those years laid on top of each other. I'm sure you know you playing that guitar from childhood and you're just loving it. And your whole, I like the term that you use, like posture, adapted mm. to this this position essentially to make you more efficient at, at playing the guitar. But then as soon as you step outside of the realm of guitar playing, it's like oh, this is it's not really not good for anything else. <laughs> it's, not, it's detrimental to so many other things. And I think, I think really that's, that's what I'm trying to do best for myself is like, and I think that most of us are as well, but maybe not as consciously, but, um, or consciously too, but it's this, it's like, how do I have a body that is able to do as many things as, as possible? How do I make my body limitless in potential, you know, and as, as much as I can create options for my, yeah, that's like, that's essentially what I feel that a movement practice is or a balanced movement practice is. Yeah. Can we unpack a little bit about what you mentioned before about this mind, body, spirit sort of connection and navigating your way through a, a balance type of practice because yeah, yeah, the, Ooh, yeah. the term balance many different interpretations on, on this totally. concept that everyone seems to be obsessed about. So keen to hear your views on it. Oh, awesome, man. Well, oh, I think that balance is, is dynamic. It's not this perfect way that things are. It's a natural fluctuation of change. And our attunement to that and our ability to stay like, in sync with the frequency of, of what we're going through is actually balanced. So balance might be three months of rest and a small amount of practice and maintenance and then three months of going hard to, to like really change. This is seasonal, right? We live in this seasonal world. Um, it's, you know, we've got summer, autumn, winter, spring. It's like in the winter, we're resting, we're hibernating, we're, we're having downtime and, you know, I don't need to speak more on the analogy. It makes sense. We might, yeah, yeah, we're growing through spring. Like for example, I had this huge um, sort of uh, push in my training uh, about, uh, it would have been about a year ago now where I just went harder than I've ever gone. I was doing three to four hours of training a day, um, pushing, pushing the levels to, to a point where I've, never been before and and then after that i really slowed down because i felt exhausted like i just worked so hard for, for about yeah it was about four months and then 
it was kind of slowed down. But still, like, have something there, like, still be looking after and maintaining myself and nourishing my body. But with an awareness <clears throat> that I've absolutely just spent myself in the last four months. So now I need to recuperate and regenerate. And my body is going to respond over time to that stimulus. Um, so that's like one example of what balance might look like in, from my perspective. Um, it, it can also look so different. Every, every individual is going to have their own sense of what balance is for them. Um, and I think that the most important part of it is, are you at peace with your practice? Mm. If you feel like you're not, then you may, you know, you may need to change something. Um, and that feeling of, of being like at peace with your practice, that's, that's sort of like the marker for me or the, the thing to follow. Um, to some level, I guess the argument is that you'll, you'll never be at peace. Like there's always that next thing, that next thing, that next thing. But I, I really feel like, um, yeah, that, that comes down to like a patience and, a, and an understanding of yourself and the body's time that it takes to adapt. You know, you need to do the time to get the adaptation, you know, um, in a, in a, I guess the typical movement practice, which is incorporating like hand balancing and you know, your gymnastic strength and like, you know, mobility and all that, all that kind of stuff Like your typical, what's the connotations are to a movement practice. Um, it's, it has fundamental kind of skills that you have to develop as well as um, a strength and capacity. Uh, and you can't rush those kinds of things. It's, you, can, you can put in effort, but there's a level of surrendering you have to have to that process because it's going to unfold organically. Mm. You know? Um, and knowing yourself within the movement practice is so important. Like for me, I know, uh, and also just before I go on, knowing yourself can evolve. I actually, I really understand that. And so sometimes it's good to step out of this way of thinking, but I think having a frame of reference is really important too. So what I know about myself is that I work really, work really well in immersion. So I'll put myself in a place where I'm kind of forced to adapt for a period of time. And then, and then I often step back and I let myself recalibrate and reboot, like I was saying, and then I'm kind of ready to go again. And, and it's almost like this. Um, it's almost like a, like a step form, right? If you just think about steps and you look at it from the science, you go, you kind of, you go up first. So you really increase the intensity and, and the, um, the frequency and the skill level might really significantly increase and you have strength gains. And then I'll plateau out for a little while until I'm ready to step up again. And it's kind of that process for me. Whereas I think some people might just have this smooth kind of heel a lot of times. Or some people might go up and then down and then up and then down. But that gradual trend line of, of like 
connection, development of your practice, um, and and skill set, strength, strength qualities, um, work capacity, all is improving gradually. And so knowing what facilitates that for you is, is so important. Um, yeah, because we are human living in this world where we have social environments and we have um, like requirements for our health. There's, there's so many variables there to look at uh, and having that self-awareness of, of what works for you and, and tuning into that over time as you, as you become aware of the idea that there is something that's right for you is, um, yeah, so important in, in finding, I guess, your sense of, of balance. Mm. Do you have any, I guess, uh, ways or tools that you've used to help develop this, this level of self-awareness and sensitivity because, you know, for a lot of people, I think, you know, you can keep on banging your head against the wall for like years, right? And then not really realize that it seems like you have a high level of awareness around like what you were describing about how you like to take on, I guess, a lot of new stimulus and then you need to just let yourself recover, rest whilst it processes it processes it, it all sort of like composts kind of almost to yeah. allow you to reach the next level of, of growth. Uh, is that something that like, how did that come to you or, uh, you know, did mm. you work on that very intentionally to notice what was happening across a large spectrum of time? The first, I guess a few things come to mind really quickly. Um, observe nature like nature is the greatest teacher. Mm. Look at look at the underlying patterns of how things uh, grow. What what is you know? Just looking outside, got trees. Well, how's a how's a tree grow? It's like, uh, and then realize you're a part of that. You're a part of that nature. Um, so okay, a tree grows got a seed we've got this idea it sprouts get sunlight water you've got nourishing soil it grows for a little while and then it gets cold and so it has to like um not grow for a little while in the winter loses its leaves now you know our mind our ego will go oh no oh no i'm getting worse I'm breaking down. I don't feel dry. I don't feel like drive. I don't, you know, we've all been there. It's like, no, 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 it's just winter. Cool. Except. So that's one way. Um, one of the other ways to really, I guess, tune in is, is just slow down. Like truly slow down. Um, we live in this world where it's like, oh, you know, we've, we've all seen it. And so not everyone's here, but we've all kind of been down the road too, where it's, yeah, just, just go hard at the gym and smash it out. And, you know, the only way you can do it is just keep showing up and doing it this way. And, you know, it's like beat yourself down and to get back up. And it's like, okay, that's great. Um, yeah, until you realize that you have emotions and you have like, it's like, like a being that, that isn't, uh, I guess made to be um, 
like so forced into structure we have that element but um if you're just going through the motions and just smashing it out for the sake of smashing it out and you don't have any and everything's got its place don't get me wrong but you're not tuning into how it feels like arnie talks about it he's like the mind muscle connection it's like oh yeah i don't i don't know what he said it's probably like someone oh yeah i can feel my bicep like squeezing and it's like every little bit of that it's like there's there's wisdom in that if what's like one thing that just keeps coming up for me right now it's like okay have you ever done a first knuckle raise right mm-hmm. just about some hand balancing stuff and just going really slow and just felt every little knuckle and every like how it stretches up to the fingers and what what it feels like to contract all the way through the flexes of your forearm and then come down really really slow and do like five minutes of them and just go what's what's that what does it actually feel like in my body and paying that level of attention to something as simple as that is is how you start to tune in and it takes it's that time and patience who wants to do five minutes of knuckle raises (laughs) like no no one but you want to have like awareness well you have to put that time in of developing clarity around the senses, you know, and having that patience of, yeah, it's going to take this much. It's going to take this time. One of the other things is like meditation, of course, like it's this stillness side of movement. It's the polarity. Um, You know, it's like Einstein says, it's like, Oh, a sign of a genius is someone who can hold two, different ideas together um, opposing ideas and see them as unity like in unification and so truly being still like sitting still for an hour and just focusing on the, the autonomic processes that occur breathing <clears throat> and noticing how we have these impulses to do things and just just watching that and becoming so familiar with that you can see your own uh your own mind just want to do do things on its own when you've chosen to just sit for for a period of time it doesn't have to start with an hour like five minutes Mm -hmm. or something 10 breaths like it's all everyone's got a starting place 20 minutes I like is a good number to do consistently and just fit into my day. Um, but I also like the idea of uh, with, if you're going to start a meditation practice, do an immersion first to get a bit of an understanding. So, um, you know, develop yourself up to an hour and then for the rest of your life, you can just do 20 minutes because you know what you're looking for. Once you get to a particular level, mm. you know, what it kind of feels like you've taken yourself, past where 20 minutes will ever kind of get you know what i like that yeah 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 it's Um, like the 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 immersion experience or something like that sort of uh highlights the feeling of what it actually could be or or is and you can it's easier to reconnect with that afterwards 
Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all love intensives, you know, because you feel, you can feel that change. Like, you know, you do, you do like a movement weekend. Say we did the gang for ghetto. Shout out to Will and, and Harry and, and Lewis, Selena. So good. That was so good um, that weekend. But that intensive, it's like crushes your body. You mm. feel, you feel different. There's some different change in your body when you work that hard at something. Um, and then you step away and you're like, okay, I know what I'm trying to feel now. I know what I'm looking for. You've, you've developed this clarity through focus. And um, that's so important to, to understand. So yeah, um, stillness is a really good one. Uh, I think the other one that's just simple and it's probably the last one I say, I guess it's, um, we can meditate wherever we go. Um, and all that means is for, for me, uh, in, in my experience is just to be able to observe. Uh, and so, and, and be able to concentrate and develop clarity around that observation and kind of equanimity. So this kind of openness and, and yeah, approach, this open approach to whatever you're working on. Um, so it might be just listening to your, or following your breath, being aware of your breath. Whilst you're listening, listening to someone speak, you, you're listening whilst also being, knowing exactly at what point of your inhale you're at. And when the top of your inhalation is and when that inhalation starts to become exhalation and when it gets right to the bottom and you just hold there for a little bit and you're having this conversation with someone or this interaction, wherever you go, even whilst you're doing your movement, you're doing the handstand push up, you know where your breath is and having that kind of um, awareness of, of your state is another way to become clear on what your sense of balance is. Yeah. So that's kind of a couple of ideas to throw out. Yeah. You can try. Yeah. I love it. And especially that first one that you mentioned about watching nature kind of gets me thinking it's like, well, what's your spirit plant then, you know, yeah. Are you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are, are you flowering at the same time as, as one of these ones that might be outside of your window that could remind you visually of going, okay, maybe I need to slow down. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm feeling good. Can see those flowers blooming. That, that's what's happening. Yeah. That's cool, man. And that's like nature talking to you. Right. Mm. And, and like, you know, it can be a woo woo and stuff like that, but it's also, it's the human experience. Mm. And this sense of connection to something that's, that's bigger than yourself. And we've been doing this for, for as long as we've been human beings, like connecting to nature. Um, yeah, and we are a part of nature. And so I really love that. I really love that idea, actually. Cool, like what, what, what plants, what trees do I, do I feel that I have that similar energy and, mm. and rhythm with? Yeah, synchronization. It's cool. Yeah, it's nice because maybe, you know, part of why I practice that, I, um, that I've realized about is about understanding you know, myself within the world and sort of uh, 
reforming perspectives and relationships that I have to myself, to others, to my environment. And maybe this is one way that I could deepen that relationship to the environment around me. And, you know, the, the forgotten environment when you live in the city as well, that you have all this beautiful nature and it's all organic undergoing growth cycles, which we are trying to stimulate ourselves throughout our practice as well. So yeah, yeah. So some beautiful thoughts there, but I, I wanted to also ask you just, um, capping off this this balance concept as well about mm. uh the concept of st- structural balance you know w- whether it be you know a common thing and a lot of strength training is like you got to balance all your push with your pull and all that mm. sort of stuff what have you yeah what do you think about that um it i guess it comes down to what you want you know what what do you what do you desire for your body to be able to do um, this is like free choice, right? What, what do we, how do we want to mold ourselves? Personally, I want to have as much diversity in my capabilities of movement um, as possible. I feel there's a real connection between my body and my mind. And so I want to balance my pushing with my pulling. Like I want to balance um, hanging and inversion like these and have uh, a posture, I guess, that is as open as it can be whilst being strong. Mm. Um, and that just feels like my personal path and journey. Yeah, something I've come to understand recently is that everyone just has a different different path. And so what they feel is balanced for them is just, it's just, it's just different. Mm. And so like when it comes to structure there's no there's no perfect posture like there's this idea that you know we should stand up with our shoulders back and lift our sternum a little bit you know all of that it's like okay there's some efficiency to that um which is which is good um but it, it might not be what you desire it. And so, yeah, it's, it's quite dynamic. What I will say is that I, I personally believe that there should be some kind of um, whole, holistic approach to strength and mobility in the body. And then if you want to specialize from that point, I think that's, that's the way you do it. I, you look at something like medicine and how you study medicine. You, you get this, like this medical degree and from that point you, you specialise into what you want to do. Now, there's benefits to that. You get these extremely high levels of understanding of certain specifics in a, um, in a, in a particular realm. Um, but it's so important to stay grounded in that base that you built when you did just a, a general approach. Um, because you need to keep sight of the whole. Yeah. So what I, what I would say is that having, having a, a body that is, does what you want it to do, that 
So, for example, I'll, I'll sort of paint a little picture. I guess if you, if you wanted to be a uh, a rock climber, a very pulling dominant, um, if you did some basic arching, like extension work, and basic mobility a couple of days a week, having having a body that can you can specialize, but then have a, a, a holistic kind of um, like a base that you look after the whole at the same time. So it's like you're rooted in in uh, in a well-rounded practice, but then you you specialize from that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you don't you don't like that'll because being rooted in that well-rounded practice will facilitate your ability to shoot off. Just think of a branch of a tree it's stronger when if it wants to reach out really far it's stronger when the roots are deeper um so yeah if a rock climber does a couple of days of like mobility in thoracic extension you know opening opening the shoulders in, in multiple directions keeping the hips open um you know in hip extension and like abduction that's gonna help uh, that's going to help. One, it will help you climb better, but it will just keep you, your body re- really healthy as well um, and less prone to injury, basically. It's sort of like yeah. these physical foundations, right, that you're you're speaking of, of just these um, these movements that our joints can express. So to practice the, the expression of, of those movements that you can do such as, you know, opening up your hip in abduction and adduction both ways so that then you can enjoy, enjoy these movements that I guess basically our bones and our muscles have been created and designed for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's exactly that. It's just keeping, keeping the whole in health. Not leaving parts of you behind. It's like, that's just what being a, a good, I guess, a good human means. It's like, oh, or a good, you know, a good family member does. It's like, oh, they look after themselves and they look after their family whilst they're on their journey. Mm. You know, it's, it's, uh, you've got to think about, you don't got to do anything, but I think it's wise to, to, to look after your, whole well-being and then branching from there yeah so that's a long way to say everyone's going to have a different structure um (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah but just look after look after it from a from a holistic approach yeah so this is a good uh moment to jump into yeah your work at the movement improvement clinic yeah cool and so yeah, how how would you describe what what you guys do there? So, I guess what we do is we really want to empower people to know how to look after themselves and really start to believe in their body's ability to um, to heal and and be pain free or or 
have a have a manageable level of pain and know how to navigate that that world um and it's a place where we just facilitate that process so i am an osteopath so i do like some hands-on stuff for people just helping them connect to their body helping to um uh you know modulate or or decrease sensations of pain that people have and create some kind of awareness of how to create like a, like a structural balance on their individual level um, on the back of our last sort of topic, as well as see uh, life, and the journey of, of movement as a, as a really um, uh, like a self-connection process. Um, so we teach a lot of movement and exercises to people like rehab techniques and uh, recovery techniques, recovery strategies, and do some hands-on work as well. We also do some programming for people um so if they if you know if they've got this recurring injury or or they they want to be able to train more it's like okay we'll help you build that base to then move move from there and uh and have because some people just need that guidance you know we, we all need guidance in some areas accounting for me like terrible <laughs> <laughs> cool i did teacher yeah and so some people will come to me and it's like, cool, I just need you to just like take control of everything that I do and, and just tell me what to do for a little while and teach me in that process. And so we'll do programming for people. We'll do hands-on therapy. Um, you know, we'll, we'll help you understand recovery and, and I guess like self-connection and wellness. That's, that's essentially it. Yeah. It's an interesting topic around this um, manual therapy, right? Because I think, you know, you follow the gram enough, you, you see that manual therapy seems to be really getting the short end of the stick these days and like copping a lot of flack as, as like not the way to, to go. But um, yeah, what, what do you, how, how do you utilize manual therapy in, in your work? And I want to ask you about like self manual therapy as, as well. Mm. Yeah, man. First thing I'll say is everything has its place. There's no doubt about it. Who doesn't love like a shoulder rub? Yeah, love it. Um, <laughs> it just it feels good, right? It's good. If it's not good for the body, it's good for the mind. It's good for the soul. It's like, oh, yes, it's like a nice little... just feels good. Someone bringing their energy to you and being like, hey, like, let's work on this together. I know you feel this tension in this area. Let's work on this and try to, you know, decrease that discomfort for you. Um, there's no denying that that helps. And if, if you're denying that, it's like you're just not looking at, at it through the, the right lens. From the lens of connection through um, like therapeutic touch and um, giving yourself like time to recover from like psychologically, you know, interacting with someone who's helping you, you heal. 
these are these are based in evidence that they help health mm. and so if you look at it from that lens it's like cool great do mental therapy done um the argument i guess can sometimes be that you're taking away the power of an individual to look after themselves uh and and have a self effect so self-efficacy uh that can become problematic when, when people teach their patients to rely on them. And, and I feel that that relationship of any kind where you must rely on the teacher creating empowerment alongside the hands-on work is, is so important. Um, and educating people around so, hey, having conversations gets in, let's just say, you've got a rotator cuff um, strain. And so um, it's just really sore. It hurts to do these different movements, overhead pressing, push-ups, and um, it's just aching at night all the time. And you try and do an exercise and stuff. It's not, it's not working. Cool, let's try it. What we'll do is we'll do some hands-on stuff for you. We'll work those tissues, um, work a few trigger points, trying to get some, I guess, um, level of uh, relaxation through those areas and, and suppleness through those areas. Um, and they also help you just tune in to, to where it is and what it feels like. And then we want to eventually build you up and give you some movements to strengthen it so it doesn't happen again. And so you, whilst we treat the symptoms were working on the root cause at the same time. And so, yeah, manual therapy, it does couple of flatness. It's crazy. Um, and uh, it's really just about keeping your patients empowered, knowing that manual therapy isn't always the answer for people. Uh, and oftentimes it's not, but it is helpful. And sometimes it is the answer. And yeah, I think that that's, that's it. The main thing is just empowering people and, and having and knowing what you're doing that uh, you're helping people to overcome in the long term whatever they're going through. And that usually comes in the form of teaching them movements that help with self-release uh, of like, tension in the body um yeah i guess i'll go down this sort of road you get these people who come in and it's like um they're stiff as a plank of wood mm -hmm. it's like okay cool like yeah i could do some manual therapy for you but it's like some jefferson curls will really help <laughs> and just doing some basic spinal work to to start to contract different muscles which they don't usually contract the act of contracting one uh the opposite muscle to another the agonist antagonistic relationship you're going to get softening when you contract the other side it has to relax it's a neurological mechanism where if i contract my bicep my tricep relaxes and so on and there's there's layers to that that's there's like synergistic contraction all that kind of thing but that simple kind of understanding of it is like okay cool where's where someone's stiff try to contract the other muscle to stretch it and then vice versa. Like mm. just work on 
developing like a baseline suppleness in the tissue through awareness of the body, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite amazing how much you can get done with just, uh, some active mobility training and a little bit of, a little bit of stretching and how much that can just change someone's pain. Mm. It's incredible. Yeah. I've, I've done sessions where people think they're going to get hands on and it's like, no, no, it's not going to help you. You don't need that. It's not going to like, you need to develop awareness in this movement, whatever it is, internal external rotation of your shoulder and some scapulothoracic awareness and your problem's just going to resolve itself. Mm. Um, because you will have strengthened tissue, lengthened other tissue, created this suppleness in the tissue. And uh, yeah, and it's just, it's just a win-win-win in that way. And they also can do it for themselves. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love how you mentioned about what lens you view it in and how you brought in just that human interaction and placing in the trust into somebody else, how powerful that can be. You know, we do that when we seek out teachers, guides, coaches, you know, and you get that new programming block as well. Maybe, you know, a portion of why that works is because you trust that person in their programming. So you're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Oh. And, and so it's a, a similar sort of, Thing happening there and uh, yeah we, I think we always have to be aware about what perspective we're kind of placing on on anything right and how we're viewing it and so mm -hmm. yeah another one I also wanted you to sort of unpack is uh, a popular concept of you know, prehabbing and mm -hmm. doing particular exercises in let, let's take a very popular topic such as um, to make things a bit more practical here for, for, for listeners like body weight strength and in body weight strength, there is a common thing around, you know, doing a lot of external rotation work for the, for the shoulders. You know, I think we all have done, you know, Cuban rotations or single arm externally rotated dumbbell raises. What, what do you think about that whole area and this concept of, of prehab are these necessary, you know, the further you walk down the, the body weight strength sort of line, or are we just doing ec extra sort of work where maybe we, we don't need to be doing that? So, yeah, that's an awesome question. So the way I really look at it is think of it in terms of, uh, let's just think of it in terms of business, right? So if you've got, um, Let's say you've got one guy who runs a lemonade store, right? And he, he's got 50 customers coming up like every hour, but he can only make 25 cups of lemonade an hour. How's he going to feel? Mm. Like so stressed and, and, or, or he's just going to be way overwhelmed and he won't be able to handle that amount of work essentially. Like, and we'll say that that's going to cause him so much stress that, that it's just overwhelming. 
he can't he can't continue to work at that rate. So essentially, for him to continue that business, he's either got to recruit someone else who can serve those those other twenty five customers, um, or he's got to become more efficient or 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 better at making lemonade. Probably easier for him to just get someone else, right? Mm-hmm. So let's take it out of that analogy and just think about um, the idea of prehab. What we've got is with, with certain movements, the reason prehab is important is that you need to have a certain level of capacity to be, uh, to, to meet the demand of your training. So you need, once your demand exceeds your capacity for work, then you're going to have stress or overload. And so the role of, I guess, prehab or, um, you know, like building, building a base is to have a greater capacity than the demand. Um, does that, does that sort of make sense? Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the biggest, yeah, this capacity demand concepts. Oftentimes, I guess it's important when you're working with skills. So um, if, for example, if, if you can't hold like a, like let's just say a planch tuck, then trying to do, um, like a uh, like a planche push up or some kind of variation of that it's just it's an injury waiting to happen because you haven't got the the ability to actually uh, work that particular work those muscles in that particular way whether it's neurological strength deficit mobility deficit. Uh, it's important to have like a base. And I guess that's, that's why we have this idea of rehab. One, one of the other big um, ideas around it is actually like promoting health of the tissue. <clears throat> and so working at an absolute sub-maximal level um, just to get um, a... a a good nourishing stimulus to, to the muscles. So for example, like you've seen, um, like the banded whippet stuff that's done, like protraction or retraction work for high reps. Um, and that's so important because if you're, especially if you're new to something and you haven't done it much before, first learning it is important also flooding that area with blood is going to be really good to um, you know get hypertrophy um, which will create a bigger muscle which becomes a stronger muscle Um, you're learning how the pattern works and the neurological engagement of it all works and so yeah it's just like a it's like a health it's almost like washing the body so that it, it, it functions like it's, it's smoother. It runs on better fuel. You know, you flood the area 
before it starts being used. Mm. Like a service. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and optimization at the same time. Yes, the human body. Adaptable. Um, yeah. I hope that makes some sense. So it's more, yeah. yeah, more around uh, really approaching the concept of prehab rather than by exercise or anything, but by thinking about load management and uh, and dosage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's totally yeah. It fits in that realm too, like load management and dosage. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess the point I was really trying to. Um, push was that yeah giving the body the right the right kind of um awareness um teaching teaching the body through repetition and then giving it enough stimulus to then uh be able to yeah to tolerate higher intensities of work is is sort of the the yeah, that's kind of the main point I'm trying to put forward there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go into uh, like load management and, and all of that, it, the same concept applies really. This this um, capacity and demand. Yeah, and how does that uh, apply to your entire training? Yeah. I guess because within that, as well as like that spectrum of the mind, again, where you want to jump levels, right? And then you, you want to try the new and exciting things. And sometimes it's just that, that, that one extra level that you push to that might just bite you, might just get you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. I love, um, I love what uh, Jackson Lennon says. He says, work two levels below your best. Mm. I think, uh, and that's for um, consistency. And I really love that because I think a lot of times consistency over intensity is actually a faster way. Yeah. Yeah, so Um, this concept of working like sub-maximally, not at that, that peak level all the time, which sometimes just feels so good though right when you when you're pushing 100 percent, you know yeah. 10 rpe but it's hard to sustain and yeah it, you can only do it for so long mm. it, yeah that's it and and knowing that you can only do it for so long is is good too because it means well you can do it just only for so long, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Be aware that it's only for a short period of time. It's like, I've done that. Well done that. Like you chase down that move. Like, oh, I really just, I feel like if I just give it one big push, I'm going to get it. And then sometimes you get it and it's like, awesome, really good. But then you might not have it again for another two months, but it's like, we've got it for Instagram. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, um, but, but getting that kind of taste sometimes drives you further. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's something you can do sometimes is push that hard. And I think it's, it's good for, I love it. It's like you, you, you get into that really kind of powerful or aggressive part of your being 
and it's like cool i'm gonna chase this thing hard like I'll, i won't i did it the other day i was rock climbing it was on this wall and i was just absolutely i was like i'm coming off i'm coming off and then someone was watching me my friend who and i was trying to show him how to do it and i was just like there's just a part of me that was just like no i'm not i'm not gonna fall i won't accept it and i just like squeezed so hard and pulled so much tension in my body and I, and I managed to get the climb. I was like, well, yes, got it. Couldn't believe it. It was like completely surprised myself. It was like a 10 second max effort. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, not somewhere I don't want to be or like redlining all the time. But like to push up to that level, I feel there's some psychological uh, and physiological physiological advantage to that at times it's like knowing your your true potential right there's there's always like this exciting undefined domain of where your potential can lie and maybe that's like part of what keeps on driving us in training as well because you keep on going oh where where is the roof like this is because it opens up a new experience that had hadn't been available to us before i think and that's that's something that's very enriching for for us as humans yeah 100 percent. yeah where's your edge yeah what's your ceiling yeah have you approached things now in your practice if if you get a pain signal injury i want to ask you as like yourself rather than treating people because you have like you know all this more maybe intellectual understanding and experience with treating people. So say like you get a shoulder niggle or something, what, what do you do? Oh, okay. So I guess, um, the first thing I'll do is try to identify, uh, where, where am I feeling it? You know, get clear on what, what's actually, what's sore. Um, and, once I've got a bit of an understanding of that, uh, I'll also look at um, whatever I'm whatever I'm practicing. Um, so let's just say uh, let's just say it's a like a like a one arm chin up progression. Um, I know uh, that in my past I've, I've hurt my shoulder. Um, like my glenohumeral joint, the ball and socket joint, because I, I wasn't supporting the structure enough with like scapular retraction and depression whilst on the one arm. And so I'll look and try to tune into um, my scapula and, and think, oh, what am I underloading? that's leading to an overload elsewhere. Uh, and that's kind of what I'll, I'll start with. Um, and if that fixes it or decreases the pain, I'll just, cool, I'll just work harder on, on engaging the area. I need to support the structure that's symptomatic. If it doesn't work, I'll then reassess and I might um, mid-session 
do some kind of rehabby kind of movement or some regression of a movement, maybe I'll just go back to body weight rows and just see how they feel because they're well under my maximal capacity. And so I'll just do like 10 or 20 reps just to get some different stimulus in the area. And I might try again on the one arm work. Still painful. Uh, either that might, that might actually reduce it and I'm feeling good again. Or if it's still painful, then I'll, I'll just change my approach completely. Um, and I'll just train sub-maximal that day. If something's feeling a bit more intense and it's creating like an achiness, ongoing soreness after the, after the movement, um, then I'll, I'll kind of tune in and either gauge whether the severity means I need to rest um, and just go back to some really easy formal loading. Maybe it's just like simple scapular work or something like that. Really just work on just keeping some blood flow and some stimulus there. Like I won't really let myself anymore go to a level where I know I can become severely injured like that. I'm just wise enough now that I've done, I've done enough injuries to know that it's, it's better to just, um, play the long game. Uh, and so I'll, yeah, I'll try just not to work at a level where, where I might have a snap of something. I don't want to snap anything. <laughs> uh, you know <and> me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it may be um, that something's particularly sensitive. So I'll just do some light loading that day, take a rest, reassess, come back for it later in the week. Or just give myself some time um, and just look after myself, get more sleep, eat well, try to do something that relaxes me. Um, simple things like that are just so underdone. But, mm. And and oftentimes that's why we get like injuries or we don't have longevity in our practice and intensity of our training as well because we're just not looking at looking after ourselves. That's sort of my approach, I'd say. Decrease the decrease intensity, and then uh, see if I can get back to it, or alter, or just stop and just do some really light loading, take a rest. Yeah, yeah, it's it tricky to sometimes, right? Because uh, sometimes these new sensations happen, and then you kind of get the question, right? You're going, should I just stop completely, or should I yeah. keep on going for a little bit? It's really hard to <laughs> to discern and make that judgment call, right? Like, um, yeah, is this part of the process? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that video of like Johnny Sapinoso where he's oh, waited yeah. going uh, under the knife, and you know, for all those listening, I'm sure. A lot of people have seen it, but he's, he gets that pec strain and then immediately, you know, he's like doing teacups afterwards and he doesn't go under surgery as well and somehow free builds that, that whole muscular structure without like the whole pec. That just blew my mind, by the way. But <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, sort of leads to this next question, which is like, when do you think, is there a time and place for actually going under the knife and accepting, you know, that, more invasive type surgery versus like, I know you advocate more of a movement based approach. Like, would you, 
do, do you see where that uh, where that has a as a time and a place? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I do think everything has a time and place. Um, knowing where that time and place is 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 really tough, and it's often just up to the individual. Um, for example, Johnny. Um, by the way, that video changed my life because I watched that in my fifth year and I was like, okay, there's something in this that I need to explore. For a guy to literally rupture the lower part of his pec and then get back to one-arm chin-ups without surgery and, like, plant push-ups within a week. Is like doing planters within a week? Um, like, there's something there. That needs to be looked at. Um, for someone like Johnny, he's done so much work on his body with, um, you know, with a great teacher and built this incredible ability. Um, so his body's ability to adapt to what it needs to is... Uh, is going to be way higher than most of us. He's just got that foundation. Like the amount of recruitment that he has from the muscles that are still working and the pattern awareness that he, that he already has is his body knows, um, you know, that neuromuscular engagement ability is, it's able to compensate a lot for what he's lost. Mm. I think that, stress of tissues is it's what we respond to like we need we need that to um to have anything to to adapt to and i think even with some severe injuries um that is required if you fracture something and completely snap something in half um and it's no longer functional let's say you know it's a bone fracture like you fracture your your femur or your your tibia um do a conor mcgregor kind of thing like you (laughs) that's just what this has got going around at the moment (laughs) but just for example that kind of injury he's going to need some time Mm. he's going to need a little bit of time to just to let that recover um and and for the bone to to essentially connect again because the structure has to be there. There has to be some integrity of the structure for us to, to have any adaptation. Um, so yeah, you might need like say four to eight weeks and then you may be able to start weight bearing on that leg. And that might be the first step of movement for him. Mm-hmm. In saying that, I really love the saying, uh, never waste an injury. Because it just means you can, you might be limited in your in your leg, for example, but you can just work on all the other areas that need to be worked on. Um, and then when that's ready to, to go again, to have some load, then it's exciting because you can learn from that journey, mm. gain wisdom from that injury. Yeah. Um, and even when it's something as severe as like a fracture like Connor has, he now has the opportunity to gain insight into an injury that not many people have. And that process 
and I guess mindset and belief system that facilitates the fastest journey back to recovery. Um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that that guy's gonna he'll he'll be back like moving quickly because he, he's just that kind of person, and also he's he's so strong, like his body's able to. It's much like Johnny, you know, in, in a lot of ways. He'll be back. Um, and he'll be loading it up soon. But yeah, there's a, there's a place for, for immobilization without doubt. Yeah. Mm. We, need, we need time to connect things. Yeah, completely. So one other area I just wanted to touch on, you know, just drawing from your osteopathic knowledge, this deep bank of knowledge that is your brain um, <laughs> is you mentioned it a few times but uh you know that that we have like a lot going on within our body and uh, you know i think with uh, a lot of the movement practice especially when you're focusing on strength and mobility you become very focused on like just the musculoskeletal system itself but mm there's some other stuff going on as, as well, obviously, you know, with all our organs or, or whatever, like what other structures or systems within the body do you think we should be actively taking into consideration and, and noticing and potentially like doing something to help with, you know, the, the healthy practice of those things? I guess I, I wouldn't be a good osteo if I didn't say all of them. um i think simple things can address most systems of the body um you know we've got lymphatic system which is like the waste system of the body um uh yeah this the circulatory system the nerve system like connective tissue um you know, there's the viscera, the organs, digestive tract, like there's all of that there. Looking after them. Oh, I'm not exactly sure what kind of answer to give, um, except that having a, a well-rounded um, movement practice will look after most systems of the body that's why it's so that's why it's so good um so you know doing mobility work will help the nervous system uh it'll help like stretch those nerves and floss those nerves uh as well as help their tendons and ligaments adapt to those types of load the muscles are, are learning to to lengthen at a, at a at a base level they become that, uh, you know, adapted to, to those stresses. Um, doing things like squatting helps digestion and, and, uh, and having constriction and compression in certain areas is going to facilitate like expansion in other areas. So doing that in all different, in all different ways is, is going to um, create optimal healing capacity for the body uh in a healing environment um oh gosh yeah there's so much there's so much to say 
really and um i guess what what it, yeah what are you sort of looking for in in this answer is, is what i would ask like techniques or um like a a way of thinking or i think you've already started to cover off with uh, what you've answered there which is that you know mm. that we have this complex system here and even if you like what i was sort of thinking that you know when we talk about training strength and mobility is it is just affecting it at the muscle or the skeleton um level but it isn't because as you mentioned when we do these movements everything is affected, everything is starting to get trained, everything is starting to get nourished. So I think that's really interesting because mm. then it's like, as you say, like when we do this this movement practice, then, you know, don't just think about it as like, yeah, our muscles are going to get stronger and bigger. But as we do this, we not only like learn about something so neurally as well, we, we are getting... Uh, an entirely new pattern to to learn as well, but then there might be something happening within the organ and, and how they are reorganizing as well, because then we are also experiencing something new in a certain position as well, which also affects that. And sometimes, yeah, I don't necessarily always think about it in, in that layer of depth. And I think that's, that's super interesting. Mm yeah 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 it is really interesting yeah. yeah yeah we do tend to think on that musculoskeletal layer but yeah underneath it all it's just that's just a superficial layer of what's happening um i think maybe because that's the most like the more approachable or simplistic way of thinking about things because if you think about you know muscles as levers and they just like pull towards their origin and stuff like that it's like it's kind of like, oh, cool. Like that, that kind of makes sense. They just do these, these actions and then I stimulate it and it gets bigger and like you, you can comprehend that, I think. But then once you start thinking about all these other things that's happening, it's kind of a bit overwhelming actually in, in, in a bit of a way. You, you almost don't want to be thinking about all these things going like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, having a simple understanding is good. Like it's that, yeah it's um <laughs> if you want to learn all this stuff or it's party profession then then great but yeah at, at, at the root of it i feel is is that yeah just doing the thing is is more important than, than understanding um it for, for the general population mm. yeah everyone's got exceptions for sure um different conditions need different approaches um but yeah just looking looking after your health um having diverse diversity arching squatting lunging like all of that you know i can list do the list hanging um it's it's all it's all part of what we can do and it all serves a purpose in looking after um the wellness of the entire system the other area that I did want to briefly just question you about is about like your, your music practice and your guitar. Is this something still you're investing quite heavily in, you know, a few hours each day or yeah. How does that sort of fit into your life 
with all this other stuff, you know, you're running a business, you're doing a movement practice as well. I'm like, how's this guy doing everything? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I, I am doing it. Yeah. I've got a guitar in my office, which helps. Um, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm doing a couple of hours a day. I'd say I'd probably do like five, five hours a week, maybe. Uh, plus oh, oh yeah yeah depends on the week but uh sometimes it's like 20 hours sometimes it's like three so yeah and do Usually, you see do you see any sort of similarities between like your music practice and your movement practice or the way you approach things yeah yeah um i would argue that in a lot of ways, music has taught me how to do, uh, how to approach movement. Um, it's a similar journey. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess my mum had a guitar. Like, I grew up with a guitar in the house and heard her play a few songs. Then my brother picked it up and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And he learned a couple of songs. I was like, oh, it doesn't look too hard. And so... I thought it would be cool to be able to make some, make a sound, like do, do, make that song. I want to be able to make that song sound like that. Um, just like something simple. Um, it was, uh, and so you've got this project, right? Um, similar to like, for me, my first movement project was like project must love. Cool. Like let's go down that road. And, as you, uh, I just got harder and harder projects. I was like, cool, like let's work on this thing and then try to learn this song. And then I would try to jam with my friend on, on this, this particular song. Um, and the deeper and deeper you go, the more you discover that there's fundamental patterns in, in music and on the guitar and on any instrument that underlie all the different sounds um, just like there's fundamental movement patterns that are the base of any kind of skill you want to do um, so as i have gone through that journey um, i sort of hit this point of going okay okay i i need to start stepping away from songs and start looking at uh like the the overall picture of available notes and um that sort of led me to find um what what what's the whole fretboard what's the fretboard and we'll just speak in guitar terms because it's simple it's like how is the fretboard available to me um, where can I actually move? And um, <laughs> and truly, and I'll just I'm at that at that part of the journey, I was like, where can I actually move? Now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, there's actually no wrong notes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another that's another thing that comes later. You've got to learn the structures. You've got to learn the rules to then be able to break them later. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, I I sort of 
I remember 2015 going, okay, cool, so I can go all the way up the fretboard and I like this scale or I could move up all the way up, all the way up and then back down. And I the whole thing and then I was like, oh, cool, so and then I can play the same chord here, 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 and here and it's the same chord but it sounds different. It has this different voicing um, and it creates this element of freedom within the music. Oh, I want to make it sound like this, so I'll do it here. Or I want to make it sound, uh, I want to be able to do this little lick uh, or little phrase. So I need to move to this position beforehand. Um, so yeah, it's like this discovery of, of um, uh, it's just the same journey. You find the things you're passionate about, you do those, you follow that. Eventually you start to understand that there's, <laughs> um, there's things that you can work on that, that transfer more than other things. I just started thinking of the mindful mover. <laughs> I want to extend <laughs> making free games. And like, it's true. Like you can, you can do that. And so, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And I guess the last piece I'll say on that, um, is that what I've come to realize is that, that there is, fundamental kind of principles in any field and what the most the fastest way to learn something is to learn where everything derives from and and sort of master those pieces and then you've got your roots of your tree of your learning tree and you can then you can uh branch out because you've had deeper roots yeah so now I'm sort of doing, working in my music with that and I'm working in my movement with that kind of idea. Um, yeah. So that's kind of taught me a lot about life. <laughs> does that make, yeah, does that answer your question? I like it. It's it, when you were speaking about the fretboard and building the foundations and knowing, I guess, where you could venture. I was thinking... I was thinking like when you start getting into locomotion flow, that sort of thing, it's like building up that vocabulary, building up the ways that your body can move. And then I kind of like laughed when you were saying, and now there's no wrong note. And that's similar, like, yeah, there's no wrong movement. But at the start, when you're trying to learn things, there kind of is a little bit of a right and a wrong because you're trying to learn more of the forms to understand how you can move in certain ways so that you can progress, right? Because if it's too open format almost, then you get lost. You have no path. Mm. Like, yeah, the, the beginner needs a path. They need, they need bumpers. Like they need something to follow. Yeah, to get the forms. They need form to then become formless. It's just, that's the journey always in any field. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. What's your current favourite song? Oh, current favourite song. Um, man, I would say It Runs Through Me by Tom Mish. Mm -hmm. It's, um, do you know the song? I don't know the song, but I know Tom Mish, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been loving his stuff. He's really um, blowing my mind in the world of music, um, especially in the in regards to that no wrong note thing. Like I, yeah, that song I learned it and I was like, oh, um, 
<laughs> I don't know if the sound would come through if I tried to play guitar. But I always want to play something. Um, it's like the, the notes that are in the song, if you play them individually, it sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. But when you put them in the context of each other, in reference to each other, it's, it's amazing. It's this, this, this journey through sound that creates this experience of, I guess, tension and release. Um, and I've never, I've never seen a, a, a song that was so wrong at the same time as right. Uh, and yeah, it just, it was my, it was my favorite, it's my favorite song. Yeah. Been like that for three years. Well, how about here for a passive hang first, you know, and for a way to sort of like that we can finish off this wonderful conversation. You can get out the guitar and then let us hear what you're actually been trying to explain through words. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. I'll be back in one sec. I'll get my guitar. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Passive hang first. I just bought this thing. It's so nice. New guitar? Yeah, it's called Clark. Yeah, it's so good. New new toys. Always love new toys. So good. Um so okay, I'll play like a bit of the song. Um I'll just I'll play a bit and then I'll sort of talk about it a little bit. I know this one because I think he plays in his tiny desk concert. Yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love, um, I love it. I love the lyrics and everything about it as well. It's um, so great, but I'll show you what I mean. Right. So in this song, um, you've got this chord, which is how it starts. So you've got these couple of notes and then it goes, um, uh, here's the notes that he's playing. Um, he's got and it's like there's nothing like it just doesn't sound that nice. It just sounds a bit uh, compared to something like a um, like or just do a, a scale to show you how we we think a form should be right. So we've got um, like a D major. And see how that like it sounds um. It's just nice. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's nice sounding. It's major, D major scale. It's great. But then when you go um, try it, it's instead if we just have no intervals between the notes, so we're just going to go chromatic. So just whatever note is next, and we're just going to play it. So. so there's not much. 
appealing about the way that sounds. But this is the context piece. So it's, yeah. It's just a beauty in that tension and then resolve. Mm. And uh, I just, I really, it, it just opened my mind completely. I started writing music differently and playing the guitar differently because I, I knew that any note was available. Like I could, could just make something up and, and it kind of can't be wrong if I just trust that uh, I can make it work or whatever I'm feeling can work. So that was really cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah. I understand yeah. what you're saying there. It's kind of like viewing it as the larger whole of the whole structure of the whole piece, you know, and you build the context yourself then so that it can be take on its own form. And, you know, when you play the whole song, then you're like, yeah, it sounds, sounds awesome. Sounds like it's, it's meant to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And when you look underneath it, it's like, there's actually so much conflict that makes it beautiful. Which is amazing. <laughs> this is why you get hippie musicians. Right? <laughs> You did grow up right near Byron Bay, right? So I grew up near Nimbin, Nimbin and Byron Bay. Yeah, I did. Appreciate you coming on here for this chat, Damo. I think we went in all sorts of directions there, and was so I'm yeah interested in listening back to it. But uh, appreciate it. And for all those interested in your work, you know, how best do you prefer for people to get in touch with you? Oh, um, I think uh, prob probably email the best. Um, so uh, my work email is just uh, drdanian at micnewcastle.com, which is drdanian at mic for Movement Improvement Clinic mm. Newcastle. Um, that's always easy. You can find me on Instagram at Cooper Loop, so C O O P A Loop, and then I've got five underscores uh, <laughs> after that because that was the only way I could get the username. Yeah. I can't believe it. Really, uh, Cooper Loop's quite popular. Yeah, must be. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Yeah, Facebook, Daniel Cooper. That's it. Awesome. And I'll include all those details in the show notes as well. So yeah, appreciate the chat today. Really enjoyed connecting and understanding a bit more about you and yeah, hope everybody listening in also enjoyed the chat. So thanks once again, Damon. Thanks so much, Fayon. What an honor it was to come and be part of the Passive Pain. Love your podcast. Keep it up, man. It's so great for the movement world. Are you at peace with your practice? What's your spirit plan? Damo raises some really great questions there, and I hope you guys enjoyed that chat. I've been reflecting on a lot of those points that we talked about. In terms of plants, you know, I have a, quite a few indoor plants at my house, and there is one in particular which I do, I guess, maybe grow a little bit of inspiration from, which is this devil's ivy, because it's very, very hardy, no matter, I guess, how many times that I forget to water it, 
or sometimes put it into a more well-lit area, it keeps, it keeps on growing, keeps being alive. It can regenerate even despite not being in the best conditions. Maybe something to think on for you guys. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed that. If you have any questions, want to get in touch, remember you can always find me over on Instagram. That's at P at P-H-A-O-N-P, or on the website on thepassivehang.com. So that's it for today, guys. Once again, thank you for joining me all the way to the very end of the podcast. Thank you for joining me for all these conversations. And yeah, I look forward to sharing the next conversation with you guys in the next episode.